All right, so I'm going to be kind of preaching and teaching into this theme today. So if you have your Bibles on you, go ahead and open to, no surprise to the youth, Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to start there, and then we're going to go some other fun places from there. Uh, I have been lost in the first two chapters of the Bible for the past seven months now. I have been having so much fun studying this section of Scripture. And uh, most of the major themes of the Bible are contained within the first few chapters. And so almost every significant uh, theme that will trace itself throughout the storyline of the scriptures is, is right here in, in these intro stories. And so um, it's a great place to kind of dive in and then get lost, and it'll take you all over the place in the scriptures. So that's where we're going to go today. So head towards Genesis 1. Let me give a little bit of context. So the Bible opens with a beautiful story about God creating and then ordering and then filling the universe. That's Genesis chapter 1. Um, and here's what you might not know, is this story is structured like a poem or like a song. Um, it's a little bit different than a typical narrative that's just kind of walking you through, hey, there's these people, and they did this thing, and then this was the result. Um, it, it's structured very intentionally. And, and the way that it works, especially if you were to study it in the Hebrew, is that it's crafted into these different days of creation, and each day works like a, a stanza in a poem or a verse in a song. And so it opens with day one, talks about what the Lord did. He said, let there be light. Talks about the result, and then there was light. And then it talks about the Lord looking at what he's accomplished, right? Whether it's separating the waters from the waters and bringing forth the sky, whether it's drawing up the dry land, whether it's causing plants to explode all over the place, whether it's creating sky creatures and sea creatures and then land creatures, whatever he's doing, it kind of has this repeated pattern where it goes into a stanza, into a verse, tells you what he did, and then every single verse culminates in a chorus, right? When we're singing a worship song, we sing a verse, and then we sing a chorus, right? And then we go back and sing verse two, and then we go back into a chorus. You guys remember the old hymnals where all the verses would be stacked on top of each other and then you'd hit the chorus at the end and then you'd repeat? Anyone used to sing out of a hymnal? All right, praise God. I grew up Southern Baptist. I love the old hymnal, all right? So this is how Genesis 1 is designed, that God does something on day one. And then here's the chorus. It says that the Lord looks at what he accomplished and he says that it is good. And this line repeats itself over and over again. There was evening and morning the first day. God saw what he did and it was good. There was evening and morning the second day. God looked at what he did and he saw that it was good. Over and over, it was good, it was good, it was good. And it's creating this melody. It's creating this tone that begins to climax at the end of Genesis 1. And this is where we're going to start. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 1. Hopefully you're there. And I want you to go to verse 31. This is the end of the chapter. And this is kind of the culminating statement. This is like the chorus where Hannah is like smashing the drums. Her knees get like this high when she's hitting the bass. She opens up the back door because she's sweating, right? This is this chorus, all right? It says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So not just that it was good, it is very good deliciously good, all right? It is, it is very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day, all right? So this is how chapter one works. Now, I want you to tuck this into the back of your mind as I take you into chapter two. 
because there's going to be this really interesting moment that that happens in chapter two and if you haven't reflected on chapter one if you don't know this about it you're going to completely miss it okay so you guys ready so let's go into chapter two go to chapter two and we're going to head down to verse seven now here's what's happening in chapter two chapter one is a description of god creating the universe on a macro level it's giving kind of the big view of what was happening and then chapter two is going to zoom down in and it's going to give us god's micro creation of humanity it gives us the story of god cultivating a land called eden particularly that he planted a garden in the land of eden and that garden was going to be the home of humanity and then it shows us god bringing forth some rivers and he's bringing water through the dry land and then it's showing god like a potter like a sculptor taking the clay of the earth and he forms a man he breathes the breath of life into him it's giving us kind of the details about how humanity came forth and this is really important if you want to understand what it means to be a human you need to sit with these passages you need to reflect long on them because they're making really big claims about what it means to be the creature that you are you're a human creature right that's what you are you're not a reptile you're not a fish you're not a monkey you're not a star you're not a plant you're a human creature and if you want to know about human creatures this is the place to go so let's go to genesis 2 verse 7 it says then the lord god formed the man or human from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and the lord god planted a garden in eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed which always makes me wonder where they were at before he put him in the garden i don't know all right that just makes me wonder and out of the ground the lord god made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's move down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We could get lost in that verse. I won't go there. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. All right. So this is kind of the opening scene in the human story, in human history. And this is giving us deep insight into what it means to be a human. And I want to, um, there's so many things that we could say from this verse, but I, I want to point out a few in particular. Is that the original condition of humanity was perfection, right? That humanity had absolutely everything that it needed for life, for abundance, for happiness, for joy, for satisfaction, for fulfillment. It was all there, right? Um, Adam had been created perfectly. There was no flaw in his design, right? He was put into this garden that had everything that he needed, but also everything that he could possibly want. In fact, the, the name of the garden, Eden, it, it's connected to the word for pleasure or delight. It's a garden of delights. A garden of pleasures, a garden of abundance, a garden where you don't just have where you need. You're not just surviving, but you have what you want. You're thriving. You're having a blast, right? I was talking to youth this last week, and I always imagine Adam and God hanging out. And what I imagine them doing is finding some, like, crystal pool at the base of a waterfall 
and Adam's like swinging on vines into the pool and like doing backflips into the water and God's like yes you know like that's what I picture them doing I don't know what you imagine that's what I imagine that's what I would be doing if I was in the garden it's full of joy and fun and excitement and exploration and intrigue and and this is the start of the human story and it's not just that Adam's having fun and playing all day God also gives Adam the best job in the world, the job that he was designed for. He gives him this calling. He says, you're gonna come into this garden. It's your garden, I'm giving it to you. And you're gonna work it. You're going to keep it. You're going to help me rule and reign in it. And so Adam has the highest occupation, the highest calling, right? The best job that you could possibly get on Indeed, right? Turns in his application and he gets hired. He's like, yes, I'm CEO of the planet. You know what I mean? He's super pumped. So Adam has everything, and here's what's even better, okay? Not that he has his needs met, not that he has a great job, right? Not that he's having fun, not that there's really cool animals. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, like all of the animals that he gets to name, right? And I'm just thinking about all the bizarre names that we have for animals. Like, I don't know what he was thinking. He was like, this one, platypus. You know what I mean? Like all the strange creatures, but God, he's working with God, he's having a blast. But here's what I want you to read, and this should strike you. If you remember what I told you to remember a few moments ago, some of you are like, Corey, I don't even know what you said in the first five minutes. But if you do remember what I said, listen to this next verse. Verse, 15, uh, verse 18, sorry. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Pause. Do you remember the chorus? What was the chorus? right? It is good. It is good. It is good. It is very good. And then you get into Genesis 2. You start to read the narrative. You come to this verse, and it's like the entire band goes grunge metal, right? Josh, like, whips out his hair. Everything goes into a minor key. Hannah goes into this crazy breakdown. The cello's, like, screeching in the background, like, it is not good. What is not good? What is not good, right? Like, what, what could possibly be not good? Everything is perfect. You have everything. And listen to God's statement. You need to understand this because this is critical to what it means to be a human being. It is not good that a human being should be alone. It is not good for a human being to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for me to be alone. Humans were never meant to be lonely. I want you to just catch that for a second. Humans were not designed to be lonely. That feeling that we feel, like in the pit of our stomach, when we get disconnected and isolated, it's a feeling that came straight out of the flaming pits of hell. You were not meant to be alone. You were not meant to be constantly socially anxious or worried. You were not meant to be depressed and at home with the shades closed, with the lights dark. That's not how you were designed to be, right? It's something that the enemy is bringing into humanity, particularly that the enemy is bringing against this generation. And it is from the flaming pits of hell. I want to call it out right here, right now. That loneliness is a curse that the enemy is trying to put on our generation. And I believe that the Lord is raising up a people that will take this curse on head on. 
and release a blessing in its place. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. It is not good for humans to be alone. Now, I want to think about this a little bit. Why? Why? Why is it not good for humans to be alone? Because there are creatures, you know? Like rocks, if a rock's alone, no big deal, right? Like there are parts of creation, there's a meteor that's flying through space and it's alone, totally okay, no big deal, right? So what is it about us? What is it about humanity that makes it true that it's not okay to be alone? Well, here's the thing. It's actually found in Genesis 1. We were created in the image of God. And if you know anything about God, you know that God is a trinity, that God exists as three in one. You might say, Corey, you just blew my mind. All right, let's make it simple. God exists forever in community. That's a good thing to write down if you're taking notes. God exists forever. Eternity past to eternity future. God exists forever in community. God exists in his very being, in his very nature as a family. Family is not something that God does. Family is something that God is. In his being, in his nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving each other, delighting in each other, knowing each other, wrapped up into each other intimately, infinitely, eternally. This is who God is. And so in Genesis 1, when it says that God created humanity in his image, it means that God created us, designed us for community. God made you for family. And even if you were in the Garden of Eden and you had everything that you needed and you had the best job in the world and you had a perfect, unhindered relationship with God, you would not be satisfied without community because God made you that way. It's not a design flaw. Beloved, loneliness is your soul screaming at you saying, you need other people. It's not a design flaw. Don't let the hustlers on YouTube tell you, like, just drink another coffee and keep grinding. Hustle culture is lying to you. This idea that you can wake up early, go take your ice bath, drink your coffee, go sell some things online, right? Like, that that will satisfy you. Listen, you can have the perfect job. You can make a ton of money. You can be highly productive. You can be a CEO of some company. It will not satisfy your soul. Do not believe the hype. Do not believe the lie. You were made for intimacy and you can't get away from it even if you want to. Nothing else will satisfy your soul but deep relationship with God and deep relationship with others. And listen, there's even a danger in the church, a hyper-spiritual movement that just says, hey, go get your cup of coffee and go get your prayer journal and go get alone in your room all by yourself and do this but it's just you and Jesus. Beloved, it's not just you and Jesus. It's not just you and Jesus. He saved you into family. We're gonna look at that more later. It is not good for humans to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. You were designed for connection. You guys with me so far? All right, so let's listen to what God did in response to this. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
And then it goes on to show how God created Eve, right? And this is a beautiful picture of marriage, yes. It's a beautiful setup for the reality of family, yes. But I would say on a much deeper level, this is about companionship. This is about friendship. This is about human community, right? This is about the connection that humans are able to have with one another. And so while it is a wonderful celebration of marriage and a celebration of family, it's not limited to that. It's what we're supposed to have with each other, regardless of our familial connection. Humans were supposed to be united to one another. And so God sets about making Adam a companion. And uh, just a couple notes on this verse, because sometimes this verse is used in really strange ways to justify odd views of women. And I'm just going to take a moment on it, right? Um, right this, this, so I've heard people uh, take this verse and, and, and use it to make jokes about, oh yeah, like a, a helper. You know what I mean? And start to be a little bit derogatory towards women. This, this, ver- this word that God uses for Eve is really one of the most powerful words in the Old Testament. In fact, it's a word that's got used for God himself. He says, I am going to make you a helper. Now, this word for to help has the connotation of, yes, I can come alongside of you. Let's say you're trying to lift something heavy, and it's too heavy for you. And I come up next to you, and I put my arms up, and I start to push with you, and we're able to lift it together. Right? I helped you. I assisted you. You weren't able to do it on your own. I, I lent my strength, my skills, and we did it together. It can mean help. There's a few other things that it can mean. It can also mean to rescue. Like a picture that I could give you is like someone who's out fishing and they're sitting in their boat and all of a sudden this weather gets a little wild and the waves get a little rocky and the boat capsizes and that person goes into the water and they can't get themselves up out of the water. They can't find the boat. And they begin to yell, help, help me. And there's someone on the shore who hears them and they jump in and they swim and they grab them and they pull them over to the boat and they get them back up and they save their lives. They're a helper. They're a helpmate. They rescued them, right? And so listen, I wanna point this out to you that friendship, right, is not just like, oh, that's helpful to have a friend. No, 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 no. You need friendship. You need other people in your life. And without them, you're in deep water screaming help. We need that connection. And so God provides for him a helper, a helpmate, right? This word is the same word that says, I lift my eyes unto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We actually named our son Azariah after this word. The first part of his name, if you said it in Hebrew, it would be Azer. There you go. You can practice that when you go home. If you say in Hebrew, it means Azariah, means the Lord is the one who helps me. That's what we named our son. And so this is a beautiful word. It's a beautiful passage. Listen, you need friends. You need people that will help you. You need people that will reach their hand out and pull you out of the water when you're sinking, when you're drowning. When life gets a little heavy and you can't lift the load, you need someone who will come next to you and who will shoulder it. But you also need someone who will share in your joys. People who will rejoice when you rejoice. People who will celebrate when you celebrate. People who will be proud of your accomplishments. People who will want to sit and just talk about what happened that day and the weather. We need that. We were made for that. And something really weird begins to happen inside of humanity when we don't have it. So let's talk about that side of things. I want to talk about something that is being called the loneliness epidemic. 
few years ago, there was an article that got published by Newsweek, and it talked about the fact that we weren't just in uh, the pandemic, right, where disease was spreading across the world, but simultaneously, something was happening in the hearts of humanity all around the globe that they dubbed the loneliness pandemic. I want to read you a couple of statistics from that period. CNN reports over the past few years, one-fourth of people around the world say that they feel consistently lonely. Say that again. One out of four, 25% of people all around the world, if you were to pluck them out of any nation on the planet, say, I am consistently feeling lonely. Every day, there's this pit in my stomach, this empty place that I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, right? 25%. According to a poll by Gallup that was specifically targeted to Americans, this loneliness pandemic reached a high, particularly in 2020 and 2021, right? Nobody's surprised by that. We were told to do things like isolate, right? Like we, we did an entire social experiment when we had to isolate. And I'm not making any comment about the, comment about the politics behind that or what the government should or should not done. That's not my business. But what, but what I do want to talk about today is that what happened had an effect on us. It did. Like all of the research that's rolling out in these years is saying, hey, that, that, that did things to us. When we were told to separate, when we were told to isolate, when we were told to make sure to keep your distance, when we were told that every interaction had to be clean and sanitized and we had to do this to the microphone before we pass it off, right? And thank you, Nicole, for doing that. I wish, I'm glad you did. You know, but, but we, something happened inside of us, right? That didn't just affect our physical relationships. That began to affect our emotional relationships. That began to affect the way that we perceive one another and connect with one another, right? Like I remember before the pandemic, we would take our kids out. One of our kids would cough and guess what? Nobody would notice, right? And now we go out to a restaurant, one of our kids starts coughing and every person like gets out their shotgun. They're like, does that kid have COVID-19, right? I'm immune compromised. Like they're like, I'm about to, I'm like, I'm sorry, man. It's just a four-year-old. He's got a cough. Give him a sucker quick. And then we're like darting out of the restaurant, you know? Like it did things to us that have never happened before. We've never experienced this as a society. And so this loneliness pandemic kind of spiked in 2020, 2021, 2022, okay? Upwards of 40% to 50% of people saying, I'm regularly lonely in America. It was higher in America even than it was in the rest of the world. A therapy group called Cross River has done some research into this. They specialize in doing therapy for uh, this topic. I want you to hear this one. It says that nearly 60% of Americans feel like no one knows them well. That's a majority. Like, that's not, that's not just a few people. 60% of Americans say, I don't feel like anybody really knows me that well. Do you guys just take a moment and kind of like mourn that with me? Like, that breaks my heart. And here's the deal. If you look at the stats, the statistics spike as you go down the generations. So our youth our young people. And again, I'm not projecting this onto anyone who's in the room, but in general, in our society, our youth are experiencing this in a really intense way. Our youth are experiencing loneliness, separation, anxiety, worry, 
feeling overwhelmed. The number one word that Gen Z uses to describe their condition is overwhelmed. What do we do about this, right? And, and I want to tie this into Genesis 1 and 2. It's so clear that something has gone wrong. Our original design was community. Our original design was family. Our original design was to feel connected. Our original design was to walk around every day and to not have that feeling on the inside. And something has gone wrong. And so the question is, what are we going to do about it? Right? I, I can sit up here and belabor the point and we could all get on our faces and weep over the tragedy of the loneliness pandemic, but, and maybe we should. But I also think that the Lord wants to press us into hope and into faith and believing that there's a solution to these problems, right? And I am of the conviction that the church has within its possession the healing of the world. I say, Corey, that's a bold statement. No, I believe it. I believe that the church, I'm not talking about the four walls. I'm not talking about the institution. I'm not talking about all the organizations and all the, you know, nonprofits. No, no, no. I'm talking about the church, Christ's church, all of the people who are written in his book in heaven. Their names are in the Lamb's book of life. His church has within itself the resources to participate in the healing of the world. We have the ability to see sickness healed. We have the ability to see demons driven out. We have the ability to see loneliness crushed under the foot of our Savior. I believe that there is hope in this house and that people can come here who have that pit in their stomach and they can find a connection that they've never had before. And no, we're not a perfect family. No, we're not a perfect family. We're a broken family. There's not one person in this room who could stand up and say, well, we are just the ideal couple or we're the ideal family or this is the ideal church. No, we're not. But there's actually connection that can happen in a sweetness of intimacy even in the midst of brokenness. Because guess what? You never get to experience mercy if you never screw up. You never get to experience grace if you never fall down on your face. You never get to use the gift of helps if no one ever needs help. There are so many things that are integral to the body of Christ that are dependent upon brokenness. So your brokenness belongs here. There is space in this place for broken people to come in and to experience connection and intimacy. And I believe that when you get into these connections, it's gonna drive the loneliness out of your heart. And you're gonna find yourself satisfied in deep spiritual relationship with others and with God. And isn't that why we're here in the first place? Amen? You guys got a little bit more capacity? All right. I got two more things I wanna share with you and then we're gonna wrap this thing up. I just wanna share a verse. Uh, this is the part where the spirit of Aaron will come on me and I will probably cry. Um, it's just up here on the, on the platform. And I'll also close like six times. So like, it just, just like, just the mantle is upon me, you know? I want to read a verse to you that um, is very precious to me. It's one of my favorite verses. Uh, it's uh, Psalm 68.6. If you can put it on the screen, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. If you can open it in your Bibles. It's just a simple verse, but I, I feel it for us this morning. Psalm 68, 6 says this. It's a promise. God sets the lonely in families. God 
sets the lonely in families. When God looks down upon the earth and he sees that 25% of humanity is saying every day, I feel lonely. When God looks down upon Gen Z and they're saying that the number one terms they would use for how they're feeling is anxious and overwhelmed. He cries out from Psalm 68, I will come to you and I will not leave you as orphans, but I will put you in a family. That is God's design is to draw near to the lonely, to draw near to the anxious, to draw near to those who are brokenhearted, to draw near to those who are sitting on their couches, watching episode after episode on Netflix, eating their Doritos, windows closed, and everything inside of them is yelling, you're not okay. Get out of this freaking loneliness cage. Get out, get out, get out. And they just keep doing this, and God wants to break in. And he wants to wrap them up in his arms and he wants to take them out. I was waiting on the Lord yesterday and I was asking for how to end this sermon. I felt like there was a piece that I was missing and the Lord said to me, go to the parable of the good shepherd. And I said, Lord, I don't really think that has anything to do with this. And he said, no, go read it. And I want you guys to turn with me to Luke 15. I saw a part of this story that I have never seen before in my entire life. And the moment I read it, I began weeping in my office. I've never, never, never seen this, this, this line in it. But there's a story that Jesus tells. And he says, hey, once upon a time, there was a shepherd. And this shepherd had a flock of 100 sheep. And one sheep wandered off. And I've usually thought about this in the context of the lost. And this is talking about the lost. But I think it's also talking about the lonely that this sheep had wandered off and it was isolated. It's by itself. It's out in the woods. It's in danger. It's at risk. When you're alone, you're at risk. You're at risk. And the shepherd, it says that he leaves the 99 and he goes trekking out. I don't know why I always picture there's like a blizzard when he's going after. It's like Arctic conditions, you know? It's like coming across the tundra to find the sheep. Like, the sheep's probably already dead from the cold, but this is how I picture it, right? He's just crossing the tundra, right? He's fighting bears on the way and all the things, right? And he finds this sheep, right? And I just want you to hear what this verse says. I, I hope it'll touch your heart like it touched mine. This is verse five. It says, when the shepherd has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, but now listen to this. And then he comes home. And that line, I've never seen it before. It's not that he went and got his property back. You're my property. And I'm going to take you back to the flock. Right? No, he went after his sheep and he says that he brought it home. It's so intimate. He picks it up. He puts it on his shoulders. He says, I'm taking you back home. And I feel like this is what the Lord is wanting to do to the lonely in heart. He's saying, wherever you are, wherever you are, I will come for you. I will find you. Whatever dark place you've gotten yourself in, whatever Arctic conditions you're in, I'll weather the blizzard. I will find you. And I will take you. And I will put you on my shoulders. 
and I will take you the full distance to get you back home. And some of you are wondering, Lord, but I've come so far, can you get me back? And the Lord's saying, no, I can get you back. I can get you back. You're saying, Lord, I feel so broken, I don't even know if I can have friendships anymore. Lord, I'm so broken, I don't even know. I've been betrayed in relationships. I've had people shatter me into a thousand pieces. I have people lie to me. I have people turn their back on me. I've been disappointed over and over again. Some of you came from families that convinced you that you could never have family. Some of you have been in relationships that have convinced you that you would never want to have relationships. But listen, no matter how far life has driven you out into the dark and into the cold, the Lord will come for you. And the Lord will put you over his shoulders. He puts the lonely in a family. He grabs his sheep, puts it over his shoulders, and he brings it back home. And this is his commitment to your heart this morning. No matter where you are, he's going to get you into a home. Will you stand with me? If you are a life group leader, a small group leader, a prayer group leader, this would probably be a good time to head towards your table and send people out in a minute. Thank you, Brady, for coming up. I want to offer two final points to you. Most of what I have said to you has been inspirational, but for a moment I want to actually talk about what I'm asking you to do in response to this sermon. Uh, there is a response. There, there is an application your heart is moved this morning I, I actually want you to move I want you to do certain things because you heard me speak today now let me tell you what they are if we are going to have this Acts 2 42 through 47 reality what Mike and Ty put up on the screen for you that they did not just gather weekly as a big group in the temple but they gathered day by day in their private homes around their private tables eating food together and connecting heart to heart if we are going to have that deeply biblical reality in this church then there's a few things that have to happen number one if you're in this room and you're saying hey Corey I'm a part of the 75% of people who are not feeling lonely every day how does this sermon apply to me? Well, beloved, you just signed up to be a life group leader. Congratulations, you just got a promotion, right? If you're saying, wow, no, I'm actually feeling like our, our marriage is doing pretty good. Our family is actually pretty fun. Our home is a great place to be. Well, why don't you open it up for some people who aren't feeling like that? I know that a couple years ago, everything was screaming, lock your doors, bunker down. Don't let anybody in. They might sneeze on you and you're gonna kill over dead, okay? And that was true. You know, that some of those things were happening. But listen to me, listen to me. We can't live like that forever. We can't live like that forever. That's no way to be a human. And so if your doors have been locked, if your house has been off limits, if you have not had people in this community sitting at your table, eating your food, connecting with your heart, I wanna challenge you today and I wanna say, why? Why? The testimony of scripture is that that is no way to live. The testimony of scripture is that we're called to come near to one another. And listen, I get that it's inconvenient 
right? We have these 15 to 25 young people to send upon our house like every two weeks. Okay, I understand why you would not want people to come into your house, right? I get it, right? There's a mess to clean up afterwards. They might break things, but they're loud, but they make jokes that I don't understand. I make jokes that they don't understand. Why? No, I get it, I get it. I get the awkwardness. I get, I get all the things that keep us from doing it, but the Bible says to do it. And if we're gonna be faithful Christians who are in obedience to God's word, we've gotta unlock our doors. We've gotta say, hey, you wanna come over this Thursday? You wanna get dinner? What are you doing after church today? I really like Mexican food. Oh, you do too? Ha, amazing, right? We need to have these moments with each other and we need to start to connect. And maybe it starts talking about the weather and about sports and about whatever. But at some point it's gotta turn. How you doing? What's going on in your life? How's work going? What are you hoping for? What are you believing for this year? What are you struggling with? How you feeling? That's how things begin to change. So I wanna compel you that if you're doing well, that maybe God is inviting you to be a life group leader, whether formally or informally, to open your table and to invite others to come sit at it. Second group of people I wanna to talk to this morning is those that when I was talking about loneliness, I was talking to you. And you know, you know, that that's sitting there. Today, the Lord is crying out to you. He's reaching out to you. He's pursuing you through this message, through these words, through this atmosphere. And he's saying, I'm gonna give you a home. But listen, it might take some initiative on your part. It might take walking out those double doors and actually stopping by one of these tables. And all of the anxiety inside of you might say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I wanna be that other voice that morning that says, why not? Give it a try, give it a shot, go sign up. If they're weird, just stop going, all right? Okay, can we just make a deal? Like if they're creepy, just, just, my cat died, I gotta go, I don't know, I can't come. Right, just make it, I, I'm not condoning lying. Okay, go give it a shot. Go give it a shot. Take a risk on having friendship. You need it, you need it. Can you lift your hands with me? We're just gonna pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move through this room. Your sweet presence has been here all morning. God, we thank you for what you did during worship, during transition. Oh, but Holy Spirit, I just ask that you begin to move right now. Begin to minister. And if you've been someone that's been closed off and you, and you know it, why don't we just take a moment with the Lord and just say, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, 2020 was hard and weird and scary and, and that maybe, maybe you haven't been feeling normal since then. Maybe this is a moment for you to say, hey Lord, I wanna open my house again. I wanna, I wanna invite people to my table again. I wanna open my heart. I wanna try again. Maybe you're closed off, not because of the pandemic. Maybe there's other things that happened, relationships that failed, disappointments, breakups, divorces betrayals there's all kinds of things that make us close up 
Maybe this morning the Lord's saying, hey, why don't you unlock that door and let me in? Let's start working on that thing together. And if you're here this morning and you're feeling that loneliness, hear the word of the Lord. I will set you in a family. I'm gonna bring you home. This is the word of God to you this morning. I will set you in a family. I will bring you home. So Lord, we honor you this morning for your word. We thank you for what you teach us through your scriptures and what you've commanded us to do. And we know that in them are life and abundance. And we're eager to obey. Let me pray. Amen. This altar is open. If you need to spend time with the Lord, our prayer team will come forward. We'd be happy to minister to you. Go in peace. Have a wonderful day.